So we're getting back to our getting uh, a guide to knowing God uh, series uh, this morning. I, um, I think Craig introduced me. If I haven't met you before, my name is Matt Lilly, and my wife Jacinda, who you met already, we're the uh, lead pastors here at uh, Coast Vineyard, and uh, we had a great Easter service last Sunday. It really is the the highlight of our our church calendar, just celebrating Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, it's what our faith is founded on. So we're getting back into this series today. And two weeks ago, we had Kieran speak, and he's looking at the question, what is God like? And, uh, I mean, it's such a big question. Eh? It's a huge question, huge question. And you know, for those of us that believe that somehow God is at the foundation of everything, the foundation of our existence and meaning and, and self-understanding, it's just the question. What is God like? And uh, people have been asking that question for forever. And they've come to conclusions that it's Zeus, or other people have come to conclusions that it's, it's Brahma, and some people would say, like, well, actually, we've looked for God. There is no God. There's just enlightenment. And some people will just say, well, collectively, all of us, we are God. Uh, but for Christians... We, the place we look for the divine is, uh, is the Bible to help us to, to find out who, what God is like. Um, which, it's a good idea, isn't it? Like, for a few people, they think that's a good idea. That's, it is a good idea. I'm telling you, it's, it's a yes, yes, a good idea. But the challenge is, is that we can. Even with that, we can go to the Bible and with a vision of what we uh, want to find. And we'll find it there. If we're wanting to find a God of war, we'll find, we'll find him in the Bible. If we want to find a God of peace, we'll find him in the Bible. If we want to find a God that's compassionate, we'll find God in the Bible. If we want to find a vindictive God, if we're looking for it, we'll find it. What do we do? How, how can we know what God is like? Well, as Keran said two weeks ago, Jesus made this audacious claim. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 14, uh, verse 8, and again, it's just the same scriptures we put up two weeks ago. And Philip's talking to Jesus, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We have to look to Jesus for the answer. We have to. And if you are someone that really wants to find what God is like, I'd encourage you to search the Scriptures. And what you find is that everything in our Scriptures is pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. The revelation of God is in a person. It's Jesus. So today is kind of like part two of Kieran's message from two weeks ago. What is God like? And yeah, you might be thinking, like, why, why would you do two messages kind of on the same thing? Well, because it's so important. This is so, so important. Um, so we're going to get into that. I'd just love to pray for us as we go. So God, we just continue to ask for your uh, 
empowering presence to be here. I ask that you would open our hearts to truth. Open our hearts to what you would plant in there this morning. We pray that you would draw us more into your goodness, your love. You'd draw us more into choosing to follow and to know you. Holy Spirit, just come. Come now. I pray for people that are here this morning with, with just doubt swirling in their heart. God, we're just so, so grateful that they're here, God. And we just pray that this morning, just that you would add wisdom and insight to their own uh, understanding, God, and draw them into truth. Amen. All right, now there's a great book. If you're a reader, you love learning. There's a great book that uh, I've recently read uh, called A More Christ-Like God by a guy called Brad Jersak. And uh, um, I've spent a few days with Brad. He's a Canadian the- theologian. I've spent a few days with him. And often when you uh, read books, you think that there's some guy that just spends all of his days in, tucked away in his office and uh, you know, never, never sees the light of day, writing, thinking, this guy's the real deal. He's got a heart that you're just an incredible heart of love for people. He's the real deal. So um, whenever you, I spend a few days in Brad's theology lectures, and um, and probably 99% of what he says in this book is so so helpful. There's a couple of little things I'm like, mm, I have to talk to you a bit more about that. But um, he says this in his book: the Christian faith, at its core, is the gospel announcement that God, the eternal Spirit who created, filled, and sustains the universe has shown us who he is and what he's like, exactly what he's like in the flesh and blood that we sometimes call Emmanuel, God with us. Conversely, we believe that Jesus has shown us the face and heart of God through the fullness of his life on earth, revealed through eyewitness accounts of his birth, death, and resurrection. We regard this life as the decisive revelation and act of God in time and space. This That's still a faith statement, but for Christians, Christians, it is our starting point. To look at Jesus, especially on the cross, is to behold the clearest depiction of the God who is love. I have come to believe that Jesus alone is perfect theology. I think for many of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, we listen to that and we go, I get that, I get that. Um, We look at Jesus, we see God's acceptance, his love. We see the non-violence. We see the self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing love. Um, but at the same time, for thinking people, it should throw up some tough questions for us. So if God is complete love, what about all the suffering and affliction in the world? Why does God allow evil people to have their way. We've experienced that as a nation very recently with the the Christchurch mass murders. And uh, even more recently since then, last weekend in Sri Lanka, where churches were bombed, people coming to worship the God we're talking about and killed because of the evil that was done. Questions like, why doesn't God prevent natural disasters? 
Why is God so angry and seems to overreact? I've read some of these stories in the Old Testament. It gets violent. What's that all about? Like this is what thinking people, these are the questions that we should be popping up. And, and you've probably heard them from others as well. Like, like you're a Christian. Like what's the deal? What's the deal with this God when he got angry in that story in the Bible? What about, these, what about all these wars and, and genocides that have happened in God's name? What's that all about? You know, I have to say that often when we hear these questions you, from other people, what's happening is that they are coming from people that are wanting to just avoid the question of, you know, is God real? And if he is, what do I have to do about it? So they're often they're lobbing these things in just thinking like, I've got to get out of this conversation because it's uncomfortable. But the other thing too is that often Christians have answered these questions very poorly. And people are going like, that just doesn't make sense. You know, it's just, that's a shallow answer. That doesn't make sense. Or Christians have like fired back. You know, they've gone back, you know, you attack me and I'll, I'll attack you. Um, which just makes us look mean, you know. Um, and like these are these are hard questions that these are important questions and we've got as as believers we've got to not run for cover from hard questions we should be people that look for truth because truth is truth and we should have confidence that if we're pursuing truth we're going to find it in Jesus we're going to find it in the goodness of God and our faith will be richer from it. Look, let me just answer one of these questions. So one of the big hard questions that, uh, that comes along is that why doesn't God stop bad people from doing bad things? I've got a friend that we get together pretty regularly. Not a, not a believer. Well, he's, he believes in God, but he just his, he, he can't get his head around, one, that God is a forgiving God. And he can't get his head around that why, if God is good, that bad things happen. So we have some great conversations. Um, but we're saying that God is a God of love. And we look to Jesus and we see a God of love. But here's the thing is that you can't have real love without freedom. Does that make sense? You can't have real love without freedom. You've got to, real love comes because you've chosen to love. Otherwise, it's not real love. Real love has to be chosen. And so we're, each one of us, we're created with the ability to choose. We're created with the ability to choose love, but we also have the potential to choose evil. But why doesn't God intervene when someone is going to misuse that freedom and, and hurt, hurt people? It's one of the things my friend says. It's like, I know this girl. She was 14 years old. She was attacked. Bad things happened. She's innocent. Why would God let that happen? It's just, and it's, you know, you could just see the frustration in his face when he asked it why didn't God intervene it's this whole thing of like freedom is not freedom if when you're about to use your freedom and you get told you can't use your freedom no stop no 
You can't do that. Yes, you're free, but no, you can't. you're not free to do that. You're free, but you're not free to do that. And if God controlled us, then the love that comes from us would not be love of choice. It would be love that is being controlled. God is not responsible for the evil that people choose to do. All the evil in the world comes from free will of people that choose to do, do things. It's not from God. Not from God. Even those people that have done bad things in God's name, that's not God. That's people misunderstand. They, they, they think they're doing the right thing. We think back to the story of Paul the Apostle, one of the great church fathers, wrote like many of the, uh, a lot of the New Testament that we hold as the words of God. He was persecuting the church of Jesus because he thought they were against God. And then he had a revelation and, and actually met Jesus on the road to Damascus in Syria. Turned him right around. But even people that do evil things in the name of God, it's still that people doing evil things. They've just completely missed the heart of God. They've taken on um, people that are against God and they've sought to convince them otherwise through violence, which is the whole thing of what happened with the Crusades in the Middle Ages. By the way, the Crusaders have to change their name. It's just like, it's just, they just have to do that. People that think like it's just a rugby game. No, it's, I think it's good for Christians that they change their name. Rugby team, sorry, it wasn't in my notes. Diversion, let's get back to this important stuff. So you might ask the question, hang on, but if all of this suffering happens and it's come because God has chosen to give us freedom, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like, come on, God, is it, is it worth it? Like, there's so much bad that happens. Like, God, is, is it worth it? Giving us, giving your creation, your people, freedom of choice, is it worth it when you see the pain? And God seems to believe that it's worth it. It's worth it. The risk is worth it. To create a world where love is possible comes with the risk that suffering will be a part of it. And there's an interesting story in, uh, in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a small uh, little book of the Bible there called Hosea. And, uh, you know, if you're not much of a reader of the Bible, you may not have read this, this book here, but it's a, it's a picture. Hosea was a prophet. And the whole book is this picture where God led Hosea to, uh, into situations to communicate the heart of God. And God portrays himself as one who is married and deeply in love with a wife who will not be faithful. She harms herself, she harms her husband and her children by prostituting herself. And with pain, God is continually calling his people, his bride, back to a faithful relationship to him. You know, God feels the, feels the, the hurt. 
And then again, Easter last weekend, we see Jesus, we see God suffering in Jesus. And out of love, Jesus, you know, the God-man took on himself the sins of the world and was nailed to a cross and died. But was raised to life to deliver us from sin and death. God loves us so much that he would send his son Jesus for us, to suffer for us. He loves us that much. There's lots of hard questions. If you have, I'm going to recommend you a great book that uh, for those of you that are in a place where you've got people asking you hard questions all the time or just for yourself, you've got some of these questions swirling around. There's a really helpful book which is called uh, Letters from a Skeptic. Uh, and there it is there. So um, Dr. Gregory Boyd, um, and it's got, and Edward K. Boyd. Edward Boyd is uh, his father. And this is a series of letters between father and son where the son was a Christian and the father was an atheist. And they have this lovely open conversation through all these letters asking lots and lots of hard questions. All of those questions that you have people asking you that you ask, they just bounce them back and forth, back and forth. And um, Dr. You know, Greg Boyd is just a great, very articulate, great guy. And um, his father um, comes to faith. Goes from being an atheist, no, don't want to, you know, I've got too many hard, too many questions, suffering, nat- natural disasters, why did God create Satan? You know, what, what, what's all of these questions like? And they just had this conversation by letters. And, uh, and at the end of it, his father just goes, I'm in, I'm in. Great resource. You know, there's some um, pictures that people have of God too that are, uh, are really unhelpful. And, um, you know, this is, you might ask, like, why do you keep, like, telling us, like, look to Jesus to know, to know what God's like? And it's because if you've got pictures of God that aren't right or aren't um, are just off, what's going to happen? It's going to be toxic in your relationship with God. Okay. And again, I got some of these from uh, from Brad Jersig, some of these descriptions. He used some great words. I thought, oh, I'll just, just pinch those. But um, some of you may have grown up hearing about God, like God's the, the mighty smiter. You know, God just smite, you know, smite you. It's great word, smite. If you don't, don't use that one that too often. Um, but you might have grown up with like turn or burn, hellfire messages. It's like, um, might have grown up with like saying like God's calling us to standards that that just puts a whole lot of life's joys off limits, you know, just off to the side. Forget about that. I heard a pastor say I heard a pastor say that without the threat of hell, he would not be a Christian. The grace and mercy of God was not enough for him. So here's the thing: like behind behind bad theology. Theology just is our understanding of God, is a distorted image of God. You know, maybe that like you see God as just someone that's just really just to punish, punish your bad people or 
Um, or it may be that, yes, you're forgiven, but don't you dare do that again. So here's some pictures of God that are um, unhelpful. God is not a doting grandfather. You know, you still think, oh, he's, he's nice, but he's, he's a bit naive. You know, he kind of loves us and spoils us and sort of turns, turns a bit of a blind eye towards our misbehavior. And, um, or it's, and, and he just, whatever we ask for, he always just gives it to us. You know, it can be a little bit like, like a fairy godmother. Yes, Jacinderella. You can go to the ball. Or it's kind of like, or people see God like a, like a genie that just everything you ask for, you get. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard a story of a guy who um, was looking for love. He's walking along a beach, found a lantern, rubbed it, and a genie pops out. I, like, I don't know if it's true or not, I just heard it. So. And... <laughs> And uh, I said, you can have one wish. And he said, well, I really, really wish that woman would love me. So he turned into a bar of chocolate. (laughs) Like I said, I don't know if it's true or not, but just a story I heard. But it's just that sense of like, you know, I just snap my fingers and and God will just give me whatever I want. And yet there's, here's the thing, there's some scriptures in the Bible that says things like that, like Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Matthew 21. If you believe, you will receive everything you ask for. The danger here is that we can go kind of two ways. Is one is that we create, like I say, this, this fairy tale God that just gives us everything we want. The other danger is is that when a time comes and you've prayed for something and you don't get what you want, you think, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. And you just go, no, forget about it. Just dismiss it and go like, no, he doesn't answer prayer. I'm just not even going to ask for anything. Like a doting grandfather God seems great until that prayer comes along and you pray for something and it doesn't happen. And then he goes, like, what happens then? And people walk away from faith. They step into, like, following God, thinking he's like, just give me everything I want. And then something happens where they don't get what they want. They, they have a, their business goes bankrupt. Or a person that we love dies and we prayed for them. You know, a, a friend is, is, is abused or... You know, like a someone we know is is in, has a car accident, and it's like, and people, if they believe that he's just there to give them everything they want, when they don't get what they want, they go like, "Oh, God can't be real." Or they just turn to fatalism, which is where you just like, whatever happens, happens. I'm not even going to talk to God about anything. Bad picture of God. Another picture is like a deadbeat dad. Oh, God, he abandoned me. God is powerless and he can't help me and there's no point in praying. God doesn't care about me. It's like a deadbeat dad. And people disconnect with God because they believe that he is disconnected from them. 
Another bad picture of God is this punitive judge. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that talk about God being a judge. But a punitive judge is one that is always wanting to give the maximum sentence. It's like, I'm going to, you know, you did bad. I'm going to lock you up and throw away the key. Okay. Or another way of looking at it, it's like a harsh taskmaster. People who see God like this, they look at the difficult circumstances in their lives and they think God is punishing me. They look and because they look at I, I did that thing and now this has happened, God's punishing me. And at the same time, they think that when good things are happening, it's like, oh, God's rewarding me for being good. It's not a true picture of God. God is good all the time. And Jesus was not like this. Jesus' response to sinners was never condemnation. It was always just an invitation. Come and know God's mercy. Come and know God's unfailing love. Come and come, come. Pope Francis, great, uh, great Pope, he said this in, uh, it was in a, uh, the magazine that they recorded him saying this, he said, talking about the cross, he said, the cross reveals love, mercy, and forgiveness. It also reveals judgment, namely that in judging us, he loves us. Yes, he's the judge, but in judging us, he loves us. And if I embrace his love, then I'm saved. If I refuse it, then I'm condemned, but not by him, but by my own self. Because God never condemns. He only loves and saves. Another picture that's unhelpful is kind of like the Santa Claus picture. and you know, That God's keeping a list of our sins. And, uh, you know, he's checking it twice. Um, we're going to find out who's naughty or nice. And he's away most of the time. And he pops in sort of once a year. And, but it's kind of like the behave or else, you know, or else there's the withholding of good things. It's all about, if you think of God as a, as a kind of a weird Santa Claus picture, it's, it's like you see God as only giving you gifts, good things, when you do good things. When Kiran spoke a couple of weeks back, he talked about this beautiful uh, picture that um, the, uh, of the gospel that we, and the gospel is just the good news that God is for us, and that God loves us, and that He's a good God, and He His arms are wide open to us. And it was he, he threw up a quick picture and ran out of time to probably you know do a little bit of thing. And he, it, it talked about he wanted to talk about the gospel of chairs. And it's like, oh, that's a funny thing. It's just something that a number of people have been doing that's found quite helpful. And look at that. There's a couple of cheese up here on the stage. So I'm going to get up here. This is a picture of, you should feel quite important when you get up here. You worship leaders, like, are, like this is like right up here. So this is God and this is us. And for a lot of people, their understanding of God is that 
there are times when I, I turn my back on God. And what does God do? And the picture is, and, it, and a lot of this has come out of um, gospel presentations over the last, oh, since, since John Calvin, really, and the, uh, the, the great reformer. Uh, is interpreting scriptures is that like God cannot look on sin because he is perfect and sin is not. And they get this picture that I've turned from God, so God can't look on me. And it's only at some point when I think, no, I need to find God, and we turn back to him, that God then goes, yes, of course, you know, you're welcome. And it's a bad, it's, an, it's, a, it's the wrong picture. Here's, here's what God is like when we look at Jesus. We turn from God, and God comes over here. He says, here I am. And we, we turn from him again, and he comes back over here. He says, I love you. I'm always for you. doesn't matter what you do. I'm always for you. And you might think, really, that's just a little cute little picture of chairs? It's like you see this all through our, our scriptures. Adam and Eve. Okay, I'm going to give you paradise, Adam and Eve, and, but just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does God do? He comes looking for them. And when they're like, oh, 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 you know, it was, it was her. It was, it was that snake. And even when they're trying to like explain it away, in the midst of that, the, the scriptures record that they became aware of their nakedness. There was so much shame involved in that, that they'd broken God's rules. That they, and there was shame. And what does God do? Out of his kindness, he takes them out of the place of their shame. He covers them in their shame and looks after them. Cain and Abel, their sons. Cain gets grumpy with his brother and starts plotting. God comes to Cain and said, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Comes to him. And then Cain out of his anger, kills his brother Abel. Again, God comes to Cain. He comes to him. Doesn't throw him away, doesn't he? comes to him. What have you done? And there is... The Cain does have to go away because of what he's done, but God still protects him. There's a, there's a sign of protection on Cain. He says, like, oh, I'm going to look after you even though you have to go now. I'm going to look after you. Abraham... Abraham made a promise, God made a promise to Abraham, saying, I will give you a son. And Abraham and his wife Sarah, they're getting older, and he's going like, I don't think this is going to happen. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Abraham sleeps with his wife's maidservant. Like, are you kidding me? This is the, this is the great father Abraham. Wouldn't go down well in my house, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so that wasn't in my notes either. <laughs> but this maidservant, Hagar, 
has a son to Abraham called Ishmael. And so what does what does God do with, you know, misbehaving, impatient, immoral Abraham? He still fulfills his promise to Abraham. He gives him and Sarah a son in their old age. The son of promise. But at the same time, he honors, he establishes a covenant with Ishmael. She's like, I'll, I'll look after you as well. Moses made mistakes. God comes after him, turns to him. Moses. King David sees a woman bathing and says, I want her. It's like a bunch of stuff there. We won't go into that for time. But in the midst of David sleeping with this woman, getting her husband killed, God comes looking for him and still honors his promises to David. God becomes human. God becomes a man in Jesus. So he can rescue humanity. There's a woman at a well that Jesus starts talking to. Five failed marriages. One, you can maybe it was just a bad combo. Five, she's the problem. She's promiscuous. Has to be. Jesus sits near and says, I know what you have done and why. Your problem is not promiscuity. The problem is your soul is withering for thirst for real love. It's just looking for love. And he says, I will give you a fountain of life and love that you will draw on for the rest of your life and you will never be thirsty again. And this lady is, I'll get her name right, is known as Saint Fotini. It's recorded in lots of things. So, and she became an evangelist for the rest of her life, telling people about the love of God. There's a man of greed uh, that, uh, and a, a financial criminal went to go and see Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to have lunch at your house today. And Jesus' love changed Zacchaeus so much that he gave back everything he'd stolen from anyone and more and gave half of all what was left over to the poor. Changed his life. Man possessed by demons. And Jesus comes ashore and this guy, and Jesus goes toward him, facing him. He's like, let me set you free. There's a bunch of other stories here, but we're, we're out of time. Real stories today. There's very likely someone sitting very near you in this church. You look around, everyone's like, you know, got their church faces on. There's some people that have been through some hard stuff here, like seriously hard stuff. And there's been times when they have turned from God, often out of rebellion, sometimes out of just not knowing what to do because painful things have happened that have been beyond their control. And always, always, God is coming to face them. And then as they, as they see that love, sometimes over a short period of time, sometimes it takes a while, but they see that love and they go, 
I need to come back to the place where everything makes sense. I need to come back to the God I see in Jesus and just be embraced by that love and that forgiveness. Let me finish with this. Like God has always been perfectly revealed in Christ. Always. If you're not much of a Bible reader, just read about Jesus. Just let the, let the words of life that he spoke just touch your heart and soften your heart and pour hope into your heart. Why don't we stand together? Just, to, just love to pray for you as we finish. Let's just put that last slide up. It's so important for us to know that when we run away, we're always confronted by the love of God. When we turn from God, his love will, will come towards us. And for those that choose to respond to this love, we get to experience just what um, Rebecca was saying about that, that girl at Easter camp. She's like, I feel light. I feel different. I heard another story from the Easter camp there of a girl who went, not a Christian, not, not a believer at all in God, and uh, got, um, she had a, uh, a wonky knee, an injured knee, and got prayed for, and God miraculously and completely healed her, her, uh, her knee. And then the invitation was, you know, would you like to know Jesus? And she says, I sure would. I sure would. Anyone that loves me like that. It's all about Jesus. If you're here today and, again, you are on this journey, you don't really know much about faith and you don't really know what Jesus is all about, but you like the sound of what you've heard today. Could I just ask you now, in this place where we're standing, just in your heart, just say yes. Just say yes. Father, I just thank you. Each person here, God, you are, you are turned towards us with an invitation to life, to life now, to life forever. An invitation to, to knowing love, an invitation to being transformed more into the image of God. An invitation to know freedom, forgiveness, hope and joy. And God, for each one of us that have already said yes to you, we say again, yes today. Yes to that. 